In this episode of The Interface, I speak with Scott Brown, General Manager of Casco Automotive Group in Frankfurt, Germany. Scott has been with Amphenol since 2014 when Amphenol acquired Casco. We talk about leading his team's push into power electronics in the automotive industry. We talk about his early years after college working for Caterpillar before Casco. We talk about choosing the adventure of living and working in Germany and ultimately staying there for 22 years and counting. And we talk about his favorite desert island book, music, and movie. And he'll have you salivating for schnitzel with green sauce. This is The Interface. So for people who might not know what Casco is about and what they do, I'll have you put on your sales hat here, your your sales pitch hat, and just tell us a little bit about what Casco does for people who may not know. We actually have a long history at Casco. We've been around since the early 20th century in the U.S. Mm -hmm. and actually have some companies, the one that I'm located at here in Germany that has an even longer history started in the late 19th century. There was an acquisition of Casco's wow. in the 90s. And we started out doing cigarette lighters, really cigarette lighters. Now I say cigarette lighters and power outlets because cigarette lighters are kind of a dying product. Power outlets are still around. And we're the market leader in cigarette lighters and power outlets in the entire world, mm-hmm. by far in North America and Europe and debatable in China. There's quite a few suppliers in the Asian market. That's where we come from. That's not what I would say Casco does now. That's probably what we are most known for. If you ask our customers, who's Casco? What do we do? What do we buy from them? But we are also an electronics company right now with a, a major push into the power electronics industry or power electronics products for automotive. That's, um, power conversion, so DC to AC power conversion modules and DC-DC power management. This is the area that we as a company are currently most focused in and generating our highest growth. We also do some other electronic products. We do um, USB charging, which I would also consider is is sort of power and sensors, uh, which if, if you look at all of the things that we do, everything is related to power except sensors. Power outlets now that have replaced cigarette lighters, low cost, 12 volt consumer power in the vehicle, USB charging, also low voltage, five volts, but consumer power in the vehicle, and then AC power in the vehicle. So we're really about power. That's how I would like people to see our company. I think we're we're in the midst of this transformation that many of our customers now do see that this is what Casco does. How do you make that transformation then? I think a number of Amphenol divisions face that issue. I mean, even we here, myself here as part of Amphenol Aerospace, in trying to, we're certainly a military ruggedized connector company in this specific location, but trying to shift the narrative slightly towards high-speed solutions and and media conversion and embedded solutions and so on and so forth. So how do you how do you do that with you and your team then to break the mold a little bit with the customer's viewpoint of what you are into this this new area that you really want to focus on and that you see a bright future? A lot of it is really about spending time with the customer, yeah. being on the front line with the customer, making sure we have the right team that engages with the customer in the right areas, mostly about engineering, yeah. making sure they know what our capabilities are 
Um, in many cases, you know, our customers say, well, we buy power outlets from you, but we didn't even know that you made these kinds of products. So it's about yeah. making sure they're aware of what we can do. And we've been doing a lot that sort of pushes the boundaries, I would say also of what we have done. I don't want to say what we can do because I think we can continue to do more. Mm -hmm. um, but look at our growth into power. It's, it's been a multi-year event. This yeah. We started out in power electronics probably 10 years ago. Yeah. And we've won, you know, small pieces of business here or there. And with each piece of business, each project that we won, we pushed the boundaries a little bit further. We're challenged about systems, capabilities, um, processes within our own organization mm -hmm. that we further developed along the way. And I think for me, that's, that's really key is not being afraid to really push those boundaries. If I look at the, the business that we are now growing most quickly with, it's business that we won three years ago, mm -hmm. and it's something we knew we could do, but we also knew it was going to be a little bit of a challenge for us. And over the last three years, as we developed and brought the products that are now going to production, brought them into production, we developed our team, our capabilities, our technology, and are now actually at the point as these products go into production, we're looking at what is the next thing that we're going to do? How are we going to grow further, grow with new customers? Now we've got something to show our customers, which is great yeah. to go into those customers um, that maybe know us, maybe don't and say, look what, look what we've done, look what we can do. And we can do a lot more now than we can three years ago. Yeah. And I think we're also at, at Casco, we're always looking to push the boundary. Like what is that next project, that next piece of business that we can win that will force us to do something above and beyond what we can or have done already, because we know that's the growth that we need as a company in terms of maturation to get to where we want to go, to continue to grow the business and really become an electronic supplier of complex systems for vehicles. So really the last three years, I guess, what you're saying has really been instrumental in maybe uh, charting the path for your next three to five years as far as how you want to build a team, um, think about these new technolo technologies, these new projects uh, and products, and try to really pinpoint with the customers and really working with them um, on a consistent basis to to grow from what people know you as to what you want them to know you as. Absolutely. The, yeah. the three year, the last three years really laid a foundation for where we want to go that we can build on. We now have truly a team in place around the world mm -hmm. that can, that is capable of designing the products that we intend to grow with, of supporting them. Support organization is something that we absolutely did not have three years ago that we now have and realized maybe a little bit more slowly than we should have, but realized that there, there's more than just a product and a technology for the more complex products that our customers need in order to be successful with the customer. So we need to have the right product. We need to be able to design it. We need to be able to build it. We need to have the people that can help the customer integrate it into their system. And we built all of that now. We've been forced to build it with the business that we've won and, and now realized. 
And I think it's a, a very, very important foundation for where we want to go. And we've identified now also the things that we're still missing within our portfolio of capabilities that are going to allow us to move to that next level while building upon what we've done over the last several years. And being a part of Amphenol, how much has that helped you and your team? Are you still largely relying just on the Casco brand and you know that long tradition of what types of products and, and the, the uh, status in the marketplace? Or have you brought in more resources, whether it be directly or indirectly, and support from Amphenol as a whole, not only the automotive group, but even the corporation? Um, you know, you talked about sensors. I don't know if you tap into their technology as well once you get into uh, some of these new products and technologies for what you're trying to do. Actually, being a part of Amphenol has helped us or forced us, however you want to say it, to really focus on the, the core area of the business that we are now working on growing. So we had a number of products that had some overlap. Mm -hmm. um, some of them still do with other Amphenol businesses. Some of them we continue to work on and uh, compete friendly competition with other, other Amphenol companies. Not, not uncommon. Others <laughs> Others we've completely given up and uh, giving something up is always a bit of a hardship, you know, when you've worked hard to develop it. Yeah. In hindsight, giving up some of the things that we did to other Amphenol companies to allow them to focus on things that were really core to their capabilities allowed us to focus on what is now core to our business and what is, is driving our growth. And I think that really was important because by doing so, we developed the resources and the, the amount of, of resources, the amount of effort for a single area, really truly focus within an area that's really led to the growth that we're experiencing now. And, and that, that came really from, from Amphenol's bigger picture guidance mm -hmm. you know, within the headquarters, within the group management of what, what should we be doing. The other thing that Amphenol has, has helped us with is simply the, the financing behind what we're doing. I mean, sure. Casco, has always been a healthy company. We remain a healthy company, but uh, knowing that if we want to do something, if there's a business case behind it, um, that there's going to be the support from Amphenol to make it happen. So you've been with Amphenol, well, actually, actually, I should say, you've been with Casco for how long? 18 years now. Was that an acquisition while you were there? Yes. Casco uh, was acquired by Amphenol in 2014. Okay. I was obviously with Casco then, been there for a while. Um, and we had a CEO who was not part of the deal and I moved up to my general manager position. So we were, you know, it wasn't one of the small family owned businesses that was yeah. acquired. We were owned by private equity, purchased by Amphenol. And it uh, just so happened that I was chosen then to become general manager, was, which was something completely new for me. Yeah. And it's been six years now uh, that I've been general manager of Casco. What was that process like when it was first acquired? I mean, for the first, say, 6, 12, 18 months of, you know, going through that transitional period where you're working as one type of company and all of a sudden you get acquired by this radically different corporation and that adjustment period I know is, is unique for everyone having talked to a number of people that have gone through it before. What was it like for you? For me, I think probably the most challenging or interesting part of that period was was moving into the role of general manager and experiencing a much 
wider area of responsibility than I had before. I was already in senior management at Casco, but but moving into the general manager position was new to me, and 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 growing into that role was quite interesting and challenging over the first year. I think from a company point of view, Casco actually fit very well with the Amphenol culture. Mm -hmm. We were always an entrepreneurial company, very lean, mm -hmm. agile, and fast. Those are the characteristics that we associated with Casco that have not changed. And I think they, they fit perfectly. We fit really perfectly within, to the, within the Amphenol culture. Yeah. If there was any challenge that we struggled with, it was integrating the finances. You know, that's the one thing that's sort of standardized within Amphenol. The, the management structure of Amphenol really allows the companies to act or to maintain their independence and truly to, to thrive, hopefully the way they did before mm -hmm. or better thereafter. We had a bit of financial cleanup um, to yeah. get done, <laughs> as you can imagine. Yeah. So let me back up then. Let me go back to young Scott Brown growing up in Long Island. What was a young Scott Brown like going through school? Were you uh, an engineering type? Always wanted to get into that before you went to, I think it was UVA, right? You went to University yes, of Virginia. I always liked science. Yeah. That was sort of my forte. I didn't really know if I was going to be an engineer or not. I was toying with a number of you know different ideas. I thought about being a doctor, yeah. but biomedical engineering would be interesting. UVA, where I ended up going to school, sort of discovered it at the last minute, just thought, you know, this would be a cool place to go. Visited Charlottesville, loved the campus, loved the, a little bit of the Southern atmosphere. It was completely different than the New York environment. Yeah, yeah Didn't is. really know what I wanted to study though. I, I enrolled in engineering, but you didn't have to choose what type of engineering at first. Mm -hmm. um, I ended up graduating with a degree in electrical engineering, which I chose after about a year of engineering school. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, the basic engineering courses that you have, I thought, you know, electrical engineering kind of interesting. I could imagine doing this. Mm -hmm. So that, that's how I ended up. But really there wasn't a, a strong, you know, I'm going to be an electrical engineer and this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. Never imagined that I was going to end up in Germany. <laughs> yeah. Not that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. But you... Shortly after that, I think you went to Ohio State, right, um, yep. for your master's. Excuse me, let me make sure I say this right. The Ohio State University. The Ohio State yes. University. Yes, I, I don't want to get it wrong because I'll get offended. <laughs> <laughs> All the Buckeyes out there. Um, you go there, I think if I, I plagiarized your LinkedIn profile enough, you did a, a grad assistant there and then got into um, Caterpillar. So what was it that you were doing at Caterpillar? I'm assuming that was probably like your first, I don't want to call it real job, but that job. That was my first real job. Okay. Yep, that's uh, the right version of it. So I was hired to write engine control software. I, I had majored in uh, control systems in, in grad school. Yeah. Um, very, very theoretical math, mathematics and, and theory, basically, mm -hmm. and software. I, uh, in some of my graduate teaching, I was very much involved in writing software for real-world applications. Um, and Caterpillar hired me to write engine control software. I started, it was, you know, it was my first real job. This was back in the 90s. Old technology, 8-bit controllers for software, no high-level language at the time. Yeah. But it's kind of interesting how that 
brought me to Germany. I was always the kind of guy that liked to look to do something different. Again, pushing boundaries like we're trying to do at Casco now. Writing software was kind of, I wouldn't say boring, but it was uh, difficult for me in, in that it was slow, very yeah. structured, having to work in, you know, you do this, but we, we have the, the group that's, you got to use the software that's released within the group. And it wasn't really for me. Yeah. And luckily there was something else available within Caterpillar that was exactly up my alley, which was still writing software, but for research projects, mm. for research engines, where they wanted things done fast. Uh, it needed to work. It needed to be done quickly. And it didn't need to go through the formal processes. Much more uh, dynamic. It was, yeah, it was, it was exciting. Yeah, yeah. And I did that for about two years. And by doing that, I got to know a number of people within the organization. And Caterpillar had purchased then a German company called MAK in Kiel, Germany. And they made um, large ship engines, mm -hmm. you know, these huge, huge engines where you can stand in a cylinder. Yeah. Uh, completely mechanically controlled at the time. Mm -hmm. They didn't really have any electronics. Um, and it was Caterpillar's idea that, you know, this would be a great opportunity to add electronics to the engines and to turn them into natural gas engines, which was the kind of research work that I was working on. So I got to go to Germany to work on this project mm -hmm. uh, for what was supposed to be a short-term assignment, <laughs> 12 to 18 months. <laughs> and here we are now, how many years later? <laughs> yeah, 22 years later. <laughs> so, and, um, you know, I did that in, in Kiel for a little while and then uh, got the opportunity to move to Frankfurt to work in a, a different group at Caterpillar working with uh, also still in the software engine control area, but working with external suppliers that were doing this for Caterpillar products, um, sort of a, a marketing and business development role with these external suppliers and mm. did that also for a little while. And then actually joined Casco in Germany, although Casco's, I guess you'd call it a US company mm. since that's where headquarters had been previously. Uh, I got hired in Germany and really stayed here all of this time. Obviously, you must really enjoy living in Germany. Um, and I, so I guess I'll just ask the obvious question. What is it about Germany and living there that you really like? I mean, because I'm sure you could have had any number of opportunities to come back to the U.S., um, you know, work for whether it be Caterpillar or Casco or Amphenol to say, no, no, I want to move back to the U.S., but yet you've decided to remain in Germany. What is it about it that, that you really, you feel comfortable with? At the time, I think it was a little bit about the excitement. It was something new. I was in my late 20s, you know, when I was in, when I came over to Germany and just the, the newness, the the culture, living in Europe, being able to travel to visit different countries yeah, so true. easily yeah. was, was exciting to me. And when I had the opportunity, Caterpillar was actually closing the location that I was working at in Germany. Um, and I had an opportunity at that time to, to go back to the U.S., to move to the U.K., or to move to Switzerland. Mm -hmm. For me, immediately, I didn't want to go back to the U.S. I felt, you know, this is still an exciting time in my life. Uh, I might as well stay here and, and experience a little bit more of the world. 
Also the UK, um, I didn't find as interesting as Germany. It was more similar to the US. Switzerland would have been interesting, but I had developed a group of friends in Germany. I just thought, you know, why not see if I can find a place to work here in Germany? And again, no, no real plan that this was going to be a long-term thing. Yeah. But at the moment, it seemed like the right thing to do. So that's when I joined Casco. Again, you know, deciding to stay in Germany, but not knowing where it was going to lead me. Yeah. And over time, you know, a combination of the the surrounding group of people that you develop in Germany and the job, everything just works and, and years fly by really, you know, before you know it. Yeah. So it just yeah, becomes home. home. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Cause we, when we got on this call together, you know, I, I asked you, this is a perfect example, you know, wow, are you still in Germany? And you just kind of went, well, yeah, this is where I live. And it was like, oh, yeah, I guess you're absolutely right. You know, so even I'm guilty of thinking, well, oh, this is just a temporary thing. You know, guys living over in Europe for a few years and then eventually he'll be back. But, you know, for you, this has become, you know, you are now uh, you, you live and work in Germany and that's just how it is. After you moved there, how long was it before you became really comfortable with living there and the language and and just the culture and being being able to how quickly were you able to assimilate to to all things German and even to a, a lesser extent European? Uh, it took a while. Yeah, <laughs> to be to be honest, you know, I had I had actually learned German in school, which oh, okay. was a good basis, but. Uh, I tell you, living in, in Germany or living in any country where you learn the language in, in high school, you really realize that you don't know much in the way of language when you did well in high school foreign language classes. So my Spanish isn't going to pay off if they drop me off in Barcelona, huh? Not much. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you've, been, if you've tried it out, but it was difficult. Yeah. I remember getting coming to Germany and I had taken, you know, a night course at a community college before coming here and thinking I'm going to do great in the language and could not understand a single word that anybody said, yeah. just ran together fast. Everything ran together. It took me to answer your question, probably about three years to start to feel comfortable mm -hmm. here. The good thing about Germany was especially the young people, everybody speaks English. Yeah. True. So right. it, it was easy to find people at first that spoke English, Frankfurt in particular is quite an international city. Right. So it wasn't very difficult. And that sort of eased the transition in into speaking German and then really becoming a part of the community. As someone who is certainly interested in, in European culture like myself and particularly food, from a German food standpoint, what do you think we don't have here in the U.S. that is German that we absolutely should like this afternoon? Schnitzel with green sauce. With green sauce. Okay, so green I know sauce. I know schnitzel, but I don't know what the green sauce is. Yeah, green sauce is sort of like um, if you could imagine something similar to sour cream mm -hmm. with uh, a number of different herbs chopped up in it. Okay. And you can put it on schnitzel. You can eat it uh, with potatoes or actually with boiled eggs is also a tradition. Yeah. Great. Green sauce. You ever come to Frankfurt, you got to have it. It's the wow. local tradition. Apparently, I won't be there anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they'll let us in. A couple more questions. I've been asking people lately 
just again to get a, a, a feel for what the a person is like. If you were stuck on a deserted island and I said you could bring one book with you, what would that book be? That's a tough question. Yeah. I read all of the time, but I don't read a lot of books. Oh, okay. So what do you read? I'm a news junkie. Uh-huh. And I read newspapers, magazines, technology kinds of things. I am like always reading on my iPad stuff, but I don't read very many books. Huh. So Which, maybe I'd have to modify this question for you to like, what subscription <laughs> <laughs> would you want to have? <laughs> yeah. Um, I should probably read more. <laughs> no, I don't. It's not that I don't read enough. I sh people I know always say you got to read more books. Mm -hmm. No, but what I would want to have is my iPad. That's cheating. That's like everything. <laughs> That's it. You get everything. Let me think about this. The book that I remember that I enjoyed reading most was Catch-22. Oh, Joseph Heller. Great book. Yeah. Hysterically funny, but also quite disturbing as it progresses. That's a book that uh, I just remember really, really enjoying. I, I actually only read it once. Yeah. I, I, I think I'm going to read it again. Oh, okay. I might have inspired you here. That's great. But you've yeah. inspired me. That's the book that I need to have on my deserted island. Oh, it's a, it's one of the great books I've ever read as well. Um, and one of the few books where I laughed out loud reading it, especially the first half of the book. Uh, it's a very funny book, but then gets a little disturbing towards the end. But uh, okay, so how about a musical artist or an album? Um, Steely Dan. Is there a particular album like Asia or Gaucho? I have them all. Yeah. Uh, Steely Dan will suffice then. We'll just keep it. That'll to Steely suffice. Dan. Now, last one then. How about a movie? A movie. Maybe Kill Bill. Volumes one and two or just one in particular? Because you could do I might both. as well take both of them. Take both. You have great choices here, by the way. These are great. I could survive on a desert island with these then. This would work for me. <laughs> Scott, seriously, I appreciate you doing this, taking the time to talk to people about what Casco does, you know, how you've really, you think, entered this new phase here in developing this team and process and system to really branch out into greater things, uh, both from a product and technology standpoint for your business. And, you know, I wish you and everyone there the best of luck moving forward. Thank you. Thank you.